Section 12 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 6, Part 2. At last Narcisse brought Pierre back into the gallery of the Candelabra, three hundred feet in length and full of fine examples of sculpture. Listen, my dear Abbé, said he, it is scarcely more than four o'clock, and we will sit down here for a while, as I am told that the Holy Father sometimes passes this way to go down to the gardens. It would be really lucky if you could see him, perhaps even speak to him. Who can tell? At all events it will rest you, for you must be tired out. Narcisse was known to all the attendants, and his relationship to Monsignor Gamba gave him the run of almost the entire Vatican, where he was fond of spending his leisure time. Finding two chairs, they sat down, and the attaché again began to talk of art. How astonishing had been the destiny of Rome! What a singular borrowed royalty had been hers! She seemed like a centre whither the whole world converged, but where nothing grew from the soil itself, which from the outset appeared to be stricken with sterility. The arts required to be acclimatized there. It was necessary to transplant the genius of neighbouring nations, which once there, however, flourished magnificently under the emperors when rome was the queen of the earth the beauty of her monuments and sculpture came to her from greece later when christianity arose in rome it there remained impregnated with paganism it was on another soil that it produced gothic art the christian art par excellence later still at the renaissance it was certainly at rome that the age of julius the second and leo the tenth shone forth but the artists of tuscany and umbria prepared the evolution brought it to rome that it might thence expand and soar for the second time indeed art came to rome from without and gave her the royalty of the world by blossoming so triumphantly within her walls then occurred the extraordinary awakening of antiquity apollo and venus resuscitated worshipped by the popes themselves who from the time of nicholas v dreamt of making papal rome the equal of the imperial city after the precursors so sincere tender and strong in their art fra angelico perugino botticelli and so many others came the two sovereigns michelangelo and raffaele the superhuman and the divine then the fall was sudden years elapsed before the advent of caravaggio with power of colour and modelling all that the science of painting could achieve when bereft of genius and afterwards the decline continued until bernini was reached bernini the real creator of the rome of the present popes the prodigal child who at twenty could already show a galaxy of colossal marble wenches the universal architect who with fearful activity finished the facade built the colonnade decorated the interior of st peter's and raised fountains churches and palaces innumerable and that was the end of all for since then rome has little by little withdrawn from life from the modern world as though she who always lived on what she derived from others were dying of her inability to take anything more from them in order to convert it to her own glory ah bernini that delightful bernini continued narcisse with his rapturous air he is both powerful and exquisite his verve always ready his ingenuity invariably awake his fecundity full of grace and magnificence as for their bramante with his masterpiece that cold correct cancelleria We'll dub him the Michelangelo and Raffaele of architecture and say no more about it. But Bernini, that exquisite Bernini, why, there is more delicacy and refinement in his pretended bad taste 
than in all the hugeness and perfection of the others our own age ought to recognize itself in his art at once so varied and so deep so triumphant in its mannerisms so full of a perturbing solicitude for the artificial and so free from the baseness of reality just go to the villa borghese to see the group of apollo and daphne which bernini executed when he was eighteen and in particular see his statue of santa teresa in ecstasy at santa maria della vittoria ah that santa teresa it is like heaven opening with the quiver that only a purely divine enjoyment can set in women's flesh the rapture of faith carried to the point of spasm the creature losing breath and dying of pleasure in the arms of the divinity i have spent hours and hours before that work without exhausting the infinite scope of its precious burning symbolization narcisse's voice died away and pierre no longer astonished at his covert unconscious hatred of health simplicity and strength scarcely listened to him the young priest himself was again becoming absorbed in the idea he had formed of pagan rome resuscitating in christian rome and turning it into catholic rome the new political sacerdotal domineering centre of earthly government apart from the primitive age of the catacombs had rome ever been christian the thoughts that had come to him on the palatine in the appian way and in st peter's were gathering confirmation genius that morning had brought him fresh proof no doubt the paganism which reappeared in the art of michelangelo and raffaele was tempered transformed by the christian spirit but did it not still remain the basis had not the former master peered across olympus when snatching his great nudities from the terrible heavens of jehovah did not the ideal figures of raffaele reveal the superb fascinating flesh of venus beneath the chaste veil of the virgin it seemed so to pierre and some embarrassment mingled with his despondency for all those beautiful forms glorifying the ardent passions of life were in opposition to his dream of rejuvenated christianity giving peace to the world and reviving the simplicity and purity of the early ages all at once he was surprised to hear narcisse by what transition he could not tell speaking to him of the daily life of leo thirteen yes my dear abbe at eighty-four the holy father shows the activity of a young man and leads a life of determination and hard work such as neither you nor i would care for at six o'clock he is already up says his mass in his private chapel and drinks a little milk for breakfast then from eight o'clock till noon there is a ceaseless procession of cardinals and prelates all the affairs of the congregations passing under his eyes and none could be more numerous or intricate at noon the public and collective audiences usually begin at two he dines then comes the siesta which he has well earned or else a promenade in the gardens until six o'clock the private audiences then sometimes keep him for an hour or two he sups at nine and scarcely eats lives on nothing in fact and is always alone at his little table what do you think eh, of the etiquette which compels him to such loneliness there you have a man who for eighteen years has never had a guest at his table who day by day sits all alone in his grandeur and as soon as ten o'clock strikes after saying the rosary with his familiars he shuts himself up in his room but although he may go to bed he sleeps very little he is frequently troubled by insomnia and gets up and sends for a secretary to dictate memoranda or letters to him when any interesting matter requires his attention he gives himself up to it heart and soul never letting it escape his thoughts and his life his health lies in all this his mind is always busy his will and strength must always be exerting themselves you may know that he long cultivated latin verse with affection 
and i believe that in his days of struggle he had a passion for journalism inspired the articles of the newspapers he subsidized and even dictated some of them when his most cherished ideas were in question silence fell at every moment narcisse craned his neck to see if the little papal cortege were not emerging from the gallery of the tapestries to pass them on its way to the gardens you are perhaps aware he resumed that his holiness is brought down on a low chair which is small enough to pass through every doorway it's quite a journey more than a mile through the loggie the stanze of raffaele the painting and sculpture galleries not to mention the numerous staircases before he reaches the gardens where a pair-horse carriage awaits him it's quite fine this evening so he will surely come we must have a little patience whilst narcisse was giving these particulars pierre again sank into a reverie and saw the whole extraordinary history pass before him first came the worldly ostentatious popes of the renaissance those who resuscitated antiquity with so much passion and dreamt of draping the holy see with the purple of empire once more there was paul the second the magnificent venetian who built the palazzo di venezia sixtus the fourth to whom one owes the sixteen chapel and julius the second and leo the tenth who made rome a city of theatrical pomp prodigious festivities tournaments ballets hunts masquerades and banquets at that time the papacy had just rediscovered olympus amidst the dust of buried ruins and as though intoxicated by the torrent of life which arose from the ancient soil it founded the museums thus reviving the superb temples of the pagan age and restoring them to the cult of universal admiration never had the church been in such peril of death for if the christ was still honoured at st peter's jupiter and all the other gods and goddesses with their beauteous triumphant flesh were enthroned in the halls of the vatican then however another vision passed before pierre one of the modern popes prior to the italian occupation notably pius nine who whilst yet free often went into his good city of rome his huge red and gold coach was drawn by six horses surrounded by swiss guards and followed by noble guards but now and again he would alight in the corso and continue his promenade on foot and then the mounted men of the escort galloped forward to give warning and stop the traffic the carriages drew up the gentlemen had to alight and kneel on the pavement whilst the ladies simply rose and devoutly inclined their heads as the holy father attended by his court slowly wended his way to the piazza del popolo smiling and blessing at every step and now had come leo thirteen the voluntary prisoner shut up in the vatican for eighteen years and he behind the high silent walls in the unknown sphere where each of his days flowed by so quietly had acquired a more exalted majesty instinct with sacred and redoubtable mysteriousness ah that pope whom you no longer meet or see that pope hidden from the common of mankind like some terrible divinity whom the priests alone dare to approach it is in that sumptuous vatican which his forerunners of the renaissance built and adorned for giant festivities that he has secluded himself it is there he lives far from the crowd in prison with the handsome men and the lovely women of michelangelo and raffaelli with the gods and goddesses of marble with the whole of resplendent olympus celebrating around him the religion of life and light with him the entire papacy is there steeped in paganism what a spectacle when the slender weak old man all soul so purely white passes along the galleries of the museum of antiquities on his way to the gardens right and left the statues behold him pass with all their bare flesh there is jupiter there is apollo there is venus the dominatrix there is pan the universal god in whose laugh the joys of earth ring out 
nereids bathe in transparent water bacantes roll unveiled in the warm grass centaurs gallop by carrying lovely girls faint with rapture on their steaming haunches ariadne is surprised by bacchus ganymede fondles the eagle adonis fires youth and maiden with his flame and on and on passes the weak white old man swaying on his low chair amidst that splendid triumph that display and glorification of the flesh which shouts aloud the omnipotence of nature of everlasting matter since they have found it again exhumed it and honoured it that it is which once more reigns there imperishable and in vain have they set vine leaves on the statues even as they have swathed the huge figures of michelangelo sex still flares on all sides life overflows its germs course in torrents through the veins of the world nearby in that vatican library of incomparable wealth where all human science lies slumbering there lurks a yet more terrible danger the danger of an explosion which would sweep away everything vatican and st peter's also if one day the books in their turn were to awake and speak aloud as speak the beauty of venus and the manliness of apollo but the white diaphanous old man seems neither to see nor to hear and the huge heads of jupiter the trunks of hercules the equivocal statues of antinous continue to watch him as he passes on however narcisse had become impatient and going in search of an attendant he learnt from him that his holiness had already gone down to shorten the distance indeed the cortege often passes along a kind of open gallery leading towards the mint well let us go down as well said narcisse to pierre i will try to show you the gardens down below in the vestibule a door of which opened onto a broad path he spoke to another attendant a former pontifical soldier whom he personally knew the man at once let him pass with pierre but he was unable to tell him whether monsignor gamba del zoppo had accompanied his holiness that day no matter resumed narcisse when he and his companion were alone in the path i don't despair of meeting him and these you see are the famous gardens of the vatican they are very extensive grounds and the pope can go quite two and a half miles by passing along the paths of the wood the vineyard and the kitchen garden occupying the plateau of the vatican hill which the medieval wall of leo four still girdles the gardens are separated from the neighbouring valleys as by a fortified rampart the wall formerly stretched to the castle of sant'angelo thereby forming what was known as the leonine city no inquisitive eyes can peer into the grounds excepting from the dome of st peter's which casts its huge shadow over them during the hot summer weather they are too quite a little world which each pope has taken pleasure in embellishing there is a large parterre with lawns of geometrical patterns planted with handsome palms and adorned with lemon and orange trees in pots there is a less formal a shadier garden where amidst deep plantations of yoke elms you find giovanni vesanzio's fountain the aquilone and pius the fourth's old casino then too there are the woods with their superb evergreen oaks their thickets of plane trees acacias and pines intersected by broad avenues which are delightfully pleasant for leisurely strolls and finally on turning to the left beyond other clumps of trees come the kitchen garden and the vineyard the last well tended whilst walking through the wood narcisse told pierre of the life led by the holy father in these gardens he strolls in them every second day when the weather allows formerly the popes left the vatican for the quirinal which is cooler and healthier as soon as may arrived and spent the dog days at castle gandolfo on the margins of the lake of albano 
but nowadays the only summer residence possessed by his holiness is a virtually intact tower of the old rampart of leo four he here spends the hottest days and has even erected a sort of pavilion beside it for the accommodation of his suite narcisse like one at home went in and secured permission for pierre to glance at the one room occupied by the pope a spacious round chamber with semispherical ceiling on which are painted the heavens with symbolical figures of the constellations one of the latter the lion having two stars for eyes stars which a system of lighting causes to sparkle during the night the walls of the tower are so thick that after blocking up a window a kind of room for the accommodation of a couch has been contrived in the embrasure besides this couch the only furniture is a large work table a dining table with flaps and a large regal armchair a massive gilding one of the gifts of the pope's episcopal jubilee and you dream of the days of solitude and perfect silence spent in that low donjon hall where the coolness of a tomb prevails whilst the heavy suns of august are scorching overpowered rome an astronomical observatory has been installed in another tower surmounted by a little white cupola which you espy amidst the greenery and under the trees there is also a swiss chalet where leo thirteen is fond of resting he sometimes goes on foot to the kitchen garden and takes much interest in the vineyard visiting it to see if the grapes are ripening and if the vintage will be a good one what most astonished pierre however was to learn that the holy father had been very fond of sport before age had weakened him he was indeed passionately addicted to bird snaring broad meshed nets were hung on either side of a path on the fringe of a plantation and in the middle of the path were placed cages containing the decoys whose songs soon attracted all the birds of the neighbourhood red breasts white throats black caps nightingales fig peckers of all sorts and when a numerous company of them was gathered together leo thirteen seated out of sight and watching would suddenly clap his hands and startle the birds which flew up and were caught by the wings in the meshes of the nets all that then remained to be done was to take them out of the nets and stifle them by a touch of the thumb roast fig peckers are delicious as pierre came back through the wood he had another surprise he suddenly lighted on a grotto of lourdes a miniature imitation of the original built of rocks and blocks of cement and such was his emotion at the sight that he could not conceal it it's true then said he i was told of it but i thought that the holy father was of loftier mind free from all such base superstitions oh replied narcisse i fancy that the grotto dates from pious nine who evinced especial gratitude to our lady of lourdes at all events it must be a gift and leo thirteen simply keeps it in repair for a few moments pierre remained motionless and silent before that imitative grotto that childish plaything some zealously devout visitors had left their visiting cards in the cracks of the cement work for his part he felt very sad and followed his companion with bowed head lamenting the wretched idiocy of the world then on emerging from the wood on again reaching the parterre he raised his eyes ah how exquisite in spite of everything was that decline of a lovely day and what a victorious charm ascended from the soil in that part of the gardens there in front of that bare noble burning parterre far more than under the languishing foliage of the wood or among the fruitful vines pierre realized the strength of nature above the grass growing meagerly over the compartments of geometrical pattern which the pathways traced there were barely a few low shrubs dwarf roses aloes rare tufts of withering flowers some green bushes still described the escutcheon of pious nine in accordance with the strange taste of former times 
and amidst the warm silence one only heard the faint crystalline murmur of the water trickling from the basin of the central fountain but all rome its ardent heavens sovereign grace and conquering voluptuousness seemed with their own soul to animate this vast rectangular patch of decorative gardening this mosaic of verdure which in its semi-abandonment and scorched decay assumed an aspect of melancholy pride instinct with the ever-returning quiver of a passion of fire that could not die some antique vases and statues whitely nude under the setting sun skirted the parterres and above the aroma of eucalyptus and of pine stronger even than that of the ripening oranges there rose the odour of the large bitter box shrubs so laden with pungent life that it disturbed one as one passed as if indeed it were the very scent of the fecundity of that ancient soil saturated with the dust of generations it's very strange that we have not met his holiness exclaimed narcisse perhaps his carriage took the other path through the wood while we were in the tower then reverting to monsignor gamba del zoppo the attache explained that the functions of copiere or papal cup-bearer which his cousin should have discharged as one of the four camerieri segreti partecipanti had become purely honorary since the dinners offered to diplomatists or in honour of newly consecrated bishops had been given by the cardinal secretary of state monsignor gamba whose cowardice and nullity were legendary seemed therefore to have no other role than that of enlivening leo XIII, whose favour he had won by his incessant flattery and the anecdotes which he was ever relating about both the black and the white worlds indeed this fat amiable man who could even be obliging when his interests were not in question was a perfect newspaper brimful of tittle-tattle disdaining no item of gossip whatever even if it came from the kitchens and thus he was quietly marching towards the cardinalate certain of obtaining the hat without other exertion than that of bringing a budget of gossip to beguile the pleasant hours of the promenade and heaven knew that he was always able to garner an abundant harvest of news in that closed vatican swarming with prelates of every kind in that womanless pontifical family of old begowned bachelors all secretly exercised by vast ambitions covert and revolting rivalries and ferocious hatreds which it is said are still sometimes carried as far as the good old poison of ancient days all at once narcisse stopped ah he exclaimed i was certain of it there's the holy father but we are not in luck he won't even see us he is about to get into his carriage again as he spoke a carriage drew up at the verge of the wood and a little cortege emerging from a narrow path went towards it pierre felt as if he had received a great blow in the heart motionless beside his companion and half hidden by a lofty vase containing a lemon tree it was only from a distance that he was able to see the white old man looking so frail and slender in the wavy folds of his white cassock and walking so very slowly with short gliding steps the young priests could scarcely distinguish the emaciated face of old diaphanous ivory emphasized by a large nose which jutted out above thin lips however the pontiff's black eyes were glittering with an inquisitive smile while his right ear was inclined towards monsignor gamba Zalzopo, who was doubtless finishing some story at once rich and short flowery and dignified and on the left walked a noble guard and two other prelates followed it was but a familiar apparition leo thirteen was already climbing into the closed carriage and pierre in the midst of that large odiferous burning garden again experienced the singular emotion which had come upon him in the gallery of the candelabra while he was picturing the pope on his way between the apollos and venuses radiant in their triumphant nudity 
there however it was only pagan art which had celebrated the eternity of life the superb almighty powers of nature but here he had beheld the pontiff steeped in nature itself in nature clad in the most lovely most voluptuous most passionate guise ah that pope that old man strolling with his divinity of grief humility and renunciation along the paths of those gardens of love in the languid evenings of the hot summer days beneath the caressing scents of pine and eucalyptus ripe oranges and tall acrid box shrubs pan the great god pan enveloped him with the sovereign effluvia of his powers how pleasant was the thought of living there amidst that magnificence of heaven and of earth of loving the beauty of woman and of rejoicing in the fruitfulness of all and suddenly the decisive truth burst forth that from a land of such joy and light it was only possible for a temporal religion of conquest and political domination to rise not the mystical pain-fraught religion of the north the religion of the soul however narcisse led the young priest away telling him other anecdotes as they went anecdotes of the occasional bonhomie of leo thirteen who would stop to chat with the gardeners and question them about the health of the trees and the sale of the oranges and he also mentions the pope's former passion for a pair of gazelles sent him from africa two graceful creatures which he had been fond of caressing and at whose death he had shed tears but pierre no longer listened when they found themselves on the piazza of st peter's he turned round and gazed at the vatican once more his eyes had fallen on the gate of bronze and he remembered having wondered that morning what there might be behind these metal panels ornamented with big nails and he did not yet dare to answer the question and decide if the new nations thirsting for fraternity and justice would really find there the religion necessary for the democracies of tomorrow for he had not been able to probe things and only carried a first impression away with him but how keen it was and how ill it boded for his dream a gate of bronze yes a hard impregnable gate so completely shutting the vatican off from the rest of the world that nothing new had entered the palace for three hundred years behind that portal the old centuries as far as the sixteenth remained immutable time seemed to have stayed its course there forever nothing more stirred the very costumes of the swiss guards the noble guards and the prelates themselves were unchanged and you found yourself in the world of three hundred years ago with its etiquette its costumes and its ideas that the popes in a spirit of haughty protest should for five and twenty years have voluntarily shut themselves up in their palace was already regrettable but this imprisonment of centuries within the past within the grooves of tradition was far more serious and dangerous it was all catholicism which was thus imprisoned whose dogmas and sacerdotal organization were obstinately immobilized perhaps in spite of its apparent flexibility catholicism was really unable to yield in anything under peril of being swept away and therein lay both its weakness and its strength and then what a terrible world was there how great the pride and ambition how numerous the hatreds and rivalries and how strange the prison how singular the company assembled behind the bars the crucified by the side of jupiter capitolinus all pagan antiquity fraternizing with the apostles all the splendors of the renaissance surrounding the pastor of the gospel who reigns in the name of the humble and the poor the sun was sinking the gentle luscious sweetness of the roman evenings was falling from the limpid heavens and after that splendid day spent with michelangelo raffaele the ancients and the pope in the finest palace of the world the young priest lingered distracted on the piazza of st peter's well you must excuse me my dear abbe concluded narcisse 
but i will now confess to you that i suspect my worthy cousin of a fear that he might compromise himself by meddling in your affair i shall certainly see him again but you will do well not to put too much reliance on him it was nearly six o'clock when pierre got back to the bocanera mansion as a rule he passed in all modesty down the lane and entered by the little side door a key of which had been given him but he had that morning received a letter from monsieur de la choux and desired to communicate it to benedetta so he ascended the grand staircase and on reaching the ante-room was surprised to find nobody there as a rule whenever the man-servant went out victorine installed herself in his place and busied herself with some needlework her chair was there and pierre even noticed some linen which she had left on a little table when probably summoned elsewhere then as the door of the first reception room was ajar he at last ventured in it was almost night there already the twilight was softly dying away and all at once the young priest stopped short fearing to take another step for from the room beyond the large yellow salon there came a murmur of feverish distracted words ardent entreaties fierce panting a rustling and a shuffling of footsteps and suddenly pierre no longer hesitated urged on despite himself by the conviction that the sounds he heard were those of a struggle and that someone was hard pressed and when he darted into the further room he was stupefied for dario was there no longer showing the degenerate elegance of the last scion of an exhausted race but maddened by the hot frantic blood of the bocaneras which had bubbled up within him he had clasped benedetta by the shoulders in a frenzy of passion and was scorching her face with his hot entreating words but since you say my darling that it is all over that your marriage will never be dissolved oh why should we be wretched for ever love me as you do love me and let me love you let me love you but the contessina with an indescribable expression of tenderness and suffering on her tearful face repulsed him with her outstretched arms she likewise evincing a fierce energy as she repeated no no i love you but it must not it must not be at that moment amidst the roar of his despair dario became conscious that someone was entering the room he turned and gazed at pierre with an expression of stupefied insanity scarce able even to recognize him then he carried his two hands to his face to his bloodshot eyes and his cheeks wet with scalding tears and fled heaving a terrible pain-fraught sigh in which baffled passion mingled with grief and repentance benedetta seated herself breathing hard her strength and courage well nigh exhausted but as pierre too much embarrassed to speak turned towards the door she addressed him in a calmer voice no no monsieur l'abbé do not go away sit down i pray you i should like to speak to you for a moment he thereupon thought it his duty to account for his sudden entrance and explained that he had found the door of the first salon ajar and that victorine was not in the ante-room though he had seen her work lying on the table there yes exclaimed the contessina victorine ought to have been there i saw her there but a short time ago and when my poor dario lost his head i called her why did she not come then with sudden expansion leaning towards pierre she continued listen monsieur l'abbé i will tell you what happened for i don't want you to form too bad an opinion of my poor dario it was all in some measure my fault last night he asked me for an appointment here in order that we might have a quiet chat and as i knew that my aunt would be absent at this time to-day i told him to come it was only natural wasn't it that we should want to see one another and come to an agreement after the grievous news that my marriage will probably never be annulled we suffer too much and must form a decision and so when he came in this evening we began to weep and embrace mingling our tears together 
i kissed him again and again telling him how i adored him how bitterly grieved i was at being the cause of his sufferings and how surely i should die of grief at seeing him so unhappy ah no doubt i did wrong i ought not to have caught him to my heart and embraced him as i did for it maddened him monsieur l'abbé he lost his head and would have made me break my vow to the blessed virgin she spoke these words in all tranquillity and simplicity without sign of embarrassment like a young and beautiful woman who is at once sensible and practical then she resumed oh i know my poor dario well but it does not prevent me from loving him perhaps indeed it only makes me love him the more he looks delicate perhaps rather sickly but in truth he is a man of passion yes the old blood of my people bubbles up in him i know something of it myself for when i was a child i sometimes had fits of angry passion which left me exhausted on the floor and even now when the gusts arise within me i have to fight against myself and torture myself in order that i may not act madly but my poor dario does not know how to suffer he is like a child whose fancies must be gratified and yet at bottom he has a good deal of common sense he waits for me because he knows that the only real happiness lies with the woman who adores him as pierre listened he was able to form a more precise idea of the young prince of whose character he had hitherto had but a vague perception whilst dying of love for his cousin dario had ever been a man of pleasure though he was no doubt very amiable the basis of his temperament was none the less egotism and in particular he was unable to endure suffering he loathed suffering ugliness and poverty whether they affected himself or others both his flesh and his soul required gaiety brilliancy show life in the full sunlight and withal he was exhausted with no strength left in him but for the idle life he led so incapable of thought and will that the idea of joining the new regime had not even occurred to him yet he had all the unbounded pride of a roman sagacity a keen practical perception of the real was mingled with his indolence while his inveterate love of woman more frequently displayed in charm of manner burst forth at times in attacks of frantic sensuality after all he is a man concluded benedetta in a low voice and i must not ask impossibilities of him then as pierre gazed at her his notions of italian jealousy quite upset she exclaimed aglow with passionate adoration no no situated as we are i am not jealous i know very well that he will always return to me and that he will be mine alone whenever i please whenever it may be possible silence followed shadows were filling the room the gilding of the large pier tables faded away and infinite melancholy fell from the lofty dim ceiling and the old hangings yellow like autumn leaves but soon by some chance play of the waning light a painting stood out above the sofa on which the contessina was seated it was the portrait of the beautiful young girl with the turban cassia bocanera the forerunner the amorosa and avengerous again was pierre struck by the portrait's resemblance to benedetta and thinking aloud he resumed passion always proves the stronger there invariably comes a moment when one succumbs but benedetta violently interrupted him i i ah you do not know me i would rather die and with extraordinary exultation all aglow with love as if her superstitious faith had fired her passion to ecstasy she continued i have vowed to the madonna that i will belong to none but the man i love and to him only when he is my husband and hitherto i have kept that vow at the cost of my happiness and i will keep it still even if it cost me my life yes we will die my poor dario and i if it be necessary but the holy virgin has my vow 
and the angels shall not weep in heaven she was all in those words her nature all simplicity intricate inexplicable though it might seem she was doubtless swayed by that idea of human nobility which christianity has set in renunciation and purity a protest as it were against eternal matter against the forces of nature the everlasting fruitfulness of life but there was more than this she reserved herself like a divine and priceless gift to be bestowed on the one being whom her heart had chosen he who would be her lord and master when god should have united them in marriage for her everything lay in the blessing of the priest in the religious solemnization of matrimony and thus one understood her long resistance to prada whom she did not love and her despairing grievous resistance to dario whom she did love but who was not her husband and how torturing it was for that soul of fire to have to resist her love how continual was the combat waged by duty in the virgin's name against the wild passionate blood of her race ignorant indolent though she might be she was capable of great fidelity of heart and moreover she was not given to dreaming love might have its immaterial charms but she desired it complete as pierre looked at her in the dying twilight he seemed to see and understand her for the first time the duality of her nature appeared in her somewhat full fleshy lips in her big black eyes which suggested a dark tempestuous night illumined by flashes of lightning and in the calm sensible expression of the rest of her gentle infantile face and withal behind those eyes of flame beneath that pure candid skin one divined the internal tension of a superstitious proud and self-willed woman who was obstinately intent on reserving herself for her one love and pierre could well understand that she should be adored that she should fill the life of the man she chose with passion and that to his own eyes she should appear like the younger sister of that lovely tragic cassia who unwilling to survive the blow that had rendered self-bestowal impossible had flung herself into the tiber dragging her brother ercole and the corpse of her lover flavio with her however with a gesture of kindly affection benedetta caught hold of pierre's hands you have been here a fortnight monsieur l'abbé said she and i have come to like you very much for i feel you to be a friend if at first you do not understand us at least pray do not judge us too severely ignorant as i may be i always strive to act for the best i assure you pierre was greatly touched by her affectionate graciousness and thanked her whilst for a moment retaining her beautiful hands in his own for he also was becoming much attached to her a fresh dream was carrying him off that of educating her should he have the time or at all events of not returning home before winning her soul over to his own ideas of future charity and fraternity did not that adorable unoccupied indolent ignorant creature who only knew how to defend her love personify the italy of yesterday the italy of yesterday so lovely and so sleepy instinct with a dying grace charming one even in her drowsiness and retaining so much mystery in the fathomless depths of her black passionate eyes and what a role would be that of awakening her instructing her winning her over to truth making her the rejuvenated italy of to-morrow such as he had dreamt of even in that disastrous marriage with count prada he tried to see merely a first attempt at revival which had failed the modern italy of the north being over hasty too brutal in its eagerness to love and transform that gentle belated rome which was yet so superb and indolent but might he not take up the task had he not noticed that his book after the astonishment of the first perusal had remained a source of interest and reflection with benedetta amidst the emptiness of her days given over to grief what 
was it really possible that she might find some appeasement for her own wretchedness by interesting herself in the humble in the happiness of the poor emotion already thrilled her at the idea and he quivering at the thought of all the boundless love that was within her and that she might bestow vowed to himself that he would draw tears of pity from her eyes but the night had now almost completely fallen and benedetta rose to ask for a lamp then as pierre was about to take leave she detained him for another moment in the gloom he could no longer see her he only heard her grave voice you will not go away with too bad an opinion of us will you monsieur l'abbé we love one another dario and i and that is no sin when one behaves as one ought ah yes i love him and have loved him for years i was barely thirteen he was eighteen and we already loved one another wildly in those big gardens of the villa montefiori which are now all broken up ah oh, what days we spent there whole afternoons among the trees hours in secret hiding-places where we kissed like little angels when the oranges ripened their perfume intoxicated us and the large box plants ah dio how they enveloped us how their strong acrid scent made our hearts beat i can never smell them nowadays without feeling faint a manservant brought in the lamp and pierre ascended to his room but when halfway up the little staircase he perceived victorine who started slightly as if she had posted herself there to watch his departure from the salon and now as she followed him up talking and seeking for information he suddenly realized what had happened why did you not go to your mistress instead of running off he asked when she called you while you were sewing in the anteroom at first she tried to feign astonishment and reply that she had heard nothing but her good-natured frank face did not know how to lie and she ended by confessing with a gay courageous air well she said it surely wasn't for me to interfere between lovers besides my poor little benedetta is simply torturing herself to death with those ideas of hers why shouldn't they be happy since they love one another life isn't so amusing as some may think and how bitterly one regrets not having seized hold of happiness when the time for it has gone once alone in his room pierre suddenly staggered quite overcome the great box-plants the great box-plants with their acrid perturbing perfume she benedetta like himself had quivered as she smelt them and he saw them once more in a vision of the pontifical gardens the voluptuous gardens of rome deserted glowing under the august sun and now his whole day crystallized assumed clear and full significance it spoke to him of the fruitful awakening of the eternal protest of nature and life of venus and hercules whom one may bury for centuries beneath the soil but who nevertheless one day arise from it and though one may seek to wall them up within the domineering stubborn immutable vatican reign yet even there and rule the whole wide world with sovereign power End of section twelve.